Yeah. First, the first thing I want to do is um, thank you in advance for being here tonight, um, for this evening. Uh, I'm holding here in my hand um, a snack pack all the way from South Africa. Um, Snuck it through customs. Don't, uh, he's, a, he's a legal guy. This is against the law. Hello and delay. Yes. So, yes, we did sneak it through customs. <laughs> Although it's legal, it didn't have to be declared, Musa. Just in case we have government people here. Yeah, where's, where's Edwin? Edwin's going to wrap you around the wrist. Where's Edwin? You're going to get our visas sort of like revoked next time we apply. No, I'm kidding. So, folks, really what we did was um, a little taste of where we're from. Um, I grew up in, in Zimbabwe. Musa grew up in parts in Zambia as well as, as South Africa. Um, but these snacks pretty much available across the Southern African region. Um, I grew up with all three of these things. And for a middle class home like I grew up in, these are pretty much delicacies. Delicacies our parents could afford at the checkout counter. And we thought we'd bring you some in the spirit of bringing the village to Amsterdam. Aww. So, so one's already missing. So one of you is Dodge. Uh, <laughs> if, if you took it, don't worry, you can have it. Um, but the rest of you, please, on your way out, do enjoy some of these. Tri Guys, one of them actually advertises itself as chocolate flavored. So this... <laughs> So the point isn't to judge its quality. <laughs> it's, it's got its, it's consistency. And go, oh, like, I can't believe it. This isn't about being a connoisseur, a chocolate connoisseur. The idea is uh, there's so much nostalgia in these packs, and it's our, from our hearts to yours, basically. Can I tell you a little bit of trivia about the while we're there? So I thought yeah. I'd take the chance. You see this, yeah. this pack here? Nick, it's called, it's called Knickknacks. Yeah. There's a little man on it. My first, my first company, Monati Fellas. It was involved in rebranding this actual pack to change him from being a Caucasian clown to being a Rastafarian guy with the glasses. <laughs> just in case you were wondering. So I thought I'd just put you out your misery. Musa, I didn't know that about you, bro. <laughs> well, that's why it's a little bit of trivia. It's getting to know each other, right? That is crazy, So when you eat uh, Mr. Knickknack, you'll know where uh, the research that informed those nasty dreadlocks came from. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Yeah, that's we have that. nothing wrong with the locks. It's just these particular ones aren't particularly... No, not your best work, bro. No, but... <laughs> <laughs> now, I'm messing with you, but wow, cool. that's crazy. Yes, sir. Let's proceed. Shall we do that? Let's do this thing. Uh, without any further ado for our uh, panel conversation around all things to do with uh, hashtag Village Diaries Amsterdam, we have first introducing Danai. Um, did I say that right, Danai? You are so funny. <laughs> <laughs> Danai is, is from Zimbabwe, and she's particular about the way her name is pronounced. Uh -huh. <laughs> so do not, do not mess with Danai. Um, Danai is a, an investment associate um, at Goodwell Investments. Welcome to you, Danai. Thanks for having me. Please give her a warm round of applause. And I would love to introduce my uh, newly acquired friend we met a couple of months ago, Tanya Abmana. Um, based kind of in Johannesburg, kind of over here now. You've got a nice life, you live. Um, but fashion entrepreneur, I think, lives a life by three pillars, fashion, tech, and, and, Af and Africa. So we're happy to have you here, and we hope to get some insights out of you. Tanya! Tanya! Pleasure to be here. Thank you. Hi. I'm sorry, I didn't say your surname, uh, then I? 
It's okay. There's so many of us out there, right? Oh, right. Yeah. <laughs> Danai is a pretty common name in Zimbabwe. Uh, Mushandu, right? Yes. It so Danai Mushandu, uh, my bad. But moving on to our third um, panelist here this evening, Augustina Austin. Um, Augustina also goes by Miss Abba. If you listen, if you're a high radio listener, but on Sundays between um, is it six to eight p.m. It's 7 to 9 p.m. 7 to 9 p.m. on almost High Radio. Right. <laughs> he has almost had it right. On High Radio, Miss um, Abba hosts a show. She's also an artist, an entrepreneur, also an innovation ar- architect at True, True Value right here in Amsterdam. Welcome to you. Please give her a warm round of applause. Thank you. And last but not least, Mr. <laughs> Babu Signoni, who's Hello. also a, a, a fellow Zimbo, but also a UX designer for at bookings.com. Um, he's a really interesting man, self-taught, I think, by, by all accounts, um, but found himself living as a expat in, in Amsterdam, yeah, <laughs> which is interesting. The yeah. darkest expat I've ever seen. <laughs> I know. Um, I know. <laughs> but we'll get into that. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, we're coming for you. I hear that awkward laughter. <laughs> Charles, we all. see you, fam. Charles is like, can I laugh at that? Like, I'm not sure. Um, so, Babusi, I think we love to have you on the panel, and we're going to get into your mind about a bunch of stuff that you're doing. I know you've got, in your Twitter bio, it says that you're designing the future, right? Yeah. You're interested in things that are about designing the future. So yep, I'm me. really keen to get into your mind. Cool, really thank you for having me. Yeah, and Babusi, also a UX designer slash consultant for UNHCR's uh, innovation, um, I almost said business. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> innovation division. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a business by some account. Um, innovation at the UN. Whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> Let me be nice. Okay, please. Please, please be nice. <laughs> So, no, um, definitely wearing two hats here today. Um, Folks, you know, this is what we thought would be nice. Uh, We try to figure out, like, what you guys have in common and and parry up and get the conversation going that way. So, um, Babusi and Augustina. Yeah. So, we thought they might be a vibe. Okay, so Augustina. Wow. <laughs> that kind of vibe, not that kind of vibe. That's Come on. The man is engaged. The man is engaged. <laughs> it's just that men don't wear a ring. He's getting married next year for real. That's what we'll see. Um, but no, I don't mean in that way at all. Um, Augustina, you're born and raised here. Correct. You're of Ghanaian descent. Correct. Um, uh, Babusi, however, is <laughs> fresh off the fresh boat. Off <laughs> the boat. <laughs> he came willingly. He came willingly. <laughs> <laughs> I love your dark humor. It's, it's amazing today. It just got really wow. real. Too quite soon. Too soon. Too soon. Early. Okay. Okay. Too, too soon, guys. Let's dial it back. Let's dial it back. Okay. <laughs> and we're in Amsterdam. So, <laughs> so here's the here's the deal, folks. Here's yeah. the deal. Um, it's it's a loose connection, certainly, but we thought it'd be really interesting to pick your minds about the differences in terms of like um, perception of you know being in Amsterdam, working in Amsterdam, um, having a very solid and active link with the with the continent, being someone who's lived here their whole lives or was born here, versus someone who just arrived. So, give me a sense of your the Amsterdam you inhabit. How do you see the world, Babus? Um, yeah, so I left a very comfortable life in Cape Town to come here. Um, uh, Amsterdam was always my favorite city because I like the vibe. But I think the opportunity to work for, and I say this very selfishly, to work for a company um, whose bottom line I don't directly affect by the amount of exertion I create when I'm at work uh, was very important to me as a post-30 expat. Um, I think... Um, 
Amsterdam allows you to to really balance your social life and your um, work life very well, so you don't feel like you're on the treadmill too constantly. And um, I also feel like it's um, vibe wise, it's it's a good place to be at as well, um, regardless of whether or not you're um, you know working as an entrepreneur or um, yeah, just doing that nine to five. Yeah. It's a nice city. So what's it like being an, being an African in Amsterdam? Um, yeah, it's it's a beautiful way of balance. Thank you for not giving me this Presby thing before <laughs> I, got, I got here. Um, Speak louder, please. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, it's, it's interesting. Um, I will hazard to say that it's very much more post-racial than... Um, South Africa is, which is a very weird thing. You know, you'd expect a bit uh, more of a divide in um, a country that doesn't have a black majority. But South Africa is much more, you know, racially um, yeah. flavored. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you lived in Cape Town, so... Yeah, and Cape Town like is... Yeah. If you don't know anything about Cape exactly. Town... Yeah. That's true. So I so counterbat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Moving swiftly along. Yeah. Um, so given that input, we we let the the, the we call it, can we call you a fob? No, yeah, Jay. the noob. The, the noob, noob. Yeah. The the noob go first. But like, what is your sense of being, um, I suppose Dutch? Um, well, <laughs> that is debatable. <laughs> Why are y'all laughing? <laughs> I love these curveballs. <laughs> if she has a passport, she's Dutch. She's Dutch. So no, but that's the thing. And it's, it's fully legit. And it's like... <laughs> No, <laughs> I, I, I do agree. I do agree. As in you what? didn't marry nobody. You didn't marry nobody. You don't have a husband. No, so that's why you got no, a visa. Spousal. No, no, there are ways that someone could delegitimize a claim to being off a place, or Dutch, or African, or Zimbabwean, or whatever. No such problems with you, but I'm sure it's a complex notion being you and Dutch. <laughs> so give give me a sense of like how that might be different and and then like rope it into like your experience in the innovation space as an artist as a creative or whatever okay. you guys know what i mean though right <laughs> are you interested in, in knowing what i'm asking yes please <laughs> okay so yeah, go ahead let the i speak. definitely understand you uh, i would say like me being dutch is debatable <laughs> uh in my case my parents came here ending of the 70s my dad came here uh to finish his education and my mom started working the plan was actually to land in UK or US, but uh, things changed and my parents were like, you know what, we're going to be in the Netherlands. We're going to stay right here uh, because of uh, professional reasons. So you're double Dutch. <laughs> <laughs> That's a long time. But huh? here, here, here's the thing, though. Here's the thing. Um, you know, not specifically living in Amsterdam, but living in the Netherlands as an African, there is still a strong sense of you are African. You know, your culture, uh, the community is relatively small. So you have that, okay, I might not know brother uh, Kofi, but I am sure that my mom knows his mom and uh, knows his uncle. So I can figure out where he comes from. And if anything happens, I know where to find him. <laughs> so you really have that strong sense of a community here. So what happens is you grow up in the Netherlands. Of course, you have the passport. You can be called Dutch, obviously, but at least you'll be able to still uh, stay in touch with your culture in terms of language, in terms of association, um, travel. So 
from Amsterdam, actually growing up here, you get to view the world as to I can go anywhere I want and live there. So that is my experience as a Dutch Guinean, as I would <laughs> rephrase it, a uh, Dutch Guinean, uh, opposing to somebody that came here specifically for work. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, what's your experience? I mean, how do you, I mean, obviously there's been a deliberate effort to remain connected to your, you know, for lack of a bit, your roots. Absolutely. Your roots. <laughs> and, and stuff happens within the Dutch context. But, I mean, how, how do you plug back in uh, to Ghana? Um, are you, do you visit there regularly? Are, are you, you intentional of, about it? Yeah, is it something that you think about a lot? And I'll tell you why I'm asking the question after you answer. Um, I am definitely intentional about it. Um, in my case, how it started off was often traveling back um, at least once a year. You know, seeing family and visiting them and whatever. Uh, at bringing, later, bringing gifts, bringing gifts, and maybe even um, getting rid of some clothes because they're always claiming <laughs> some of your collection of clothes somewhere. <laughs> They'd be like, "Oh, you know, where's my Christmas gift?" <laughs> and you'll be giving away your favorite dress that you bought at Zara. But anyway, <laughs> um, but anyway, that's how it started. But how it is going now is uh, for me. Um, for instance, I, I've done a pageant before, which was uh, to be Miss Ghana here in the Netherlands. Ooh. So you were kind of pushed into being involved for your community, uh, att attending events, going back to Ghana, setting up uh, projects for charity and so on and so on. Is that how you got into in, 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 in league with True Value or? Uh, that's later on. That's much later on. Okay. okay. Through my network, I uh, came in touch with True Value Startups, which is an acceleration. Listen uh, to me, True Value, True Value. <laughs> True Value, True Value <laughs> okay. Startups, which is an uh, organization that um, helps build up start, uh, startups, uh, whether that be a project in Ghana or South Africa, it, depending on uh, what is going on at the moment. Uh, that was later on. But that, to answer your question, that was the start of me being involved in my community, my country of origin, uh, opposing to just visiting family. Okay. Work came later on. Uh, my own business came later on because I got in touch with a lot of African-related organizations and they needed somebody to be hands-on with their communications. Okay. So, um, yeah. And That's do you ever point. experience imposter syndrome in Ghana? Or did you ever feel that way, uh, you know, coming back into the country? Um, funny that you asked that I didn't. Okay. I didn't. A lot of people have. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know why, but I think that what helped was uh, when I visited family, they were like, you know, this is your house. This is where this is where you're from, you know, and, and you're Ghanaian. We embrace you as the way you are. I think that made a difference for me uh, where I felt like, you know, this is my second home. Okay. Actually. And yeah. so Tanya and then I, we've, there's a link. We're about to find out. We're about to find out. Did you want the music? Stop, stop egging him on. It has to be for real conspiracy theories. Now, here's the thing. You guys have, a, uh, you have an active history with Amsterdam and, uh, in terms of work history, uh, than I, because Goodwell Investments, based here in Amsterdam, have an office in Cape Town where you work out of. We have several offices. Oh, snap. Yeah, that, oh, snap. Get it right. And uh, the fund is domiciled in the Netherlands, but our work is oh, elsewhere. Oh, for real? Yes. <laughs> These right. are very important Get things. Right. These are very important to things. To communicate oh, yeah, to yeah. the wider audience. Okay, well, <laughs> snap back. <laughs> Moving swiftly along. <laughs> the link I was trying to make <laughs> is that you, um, Tanya, have had a history here. You worked for one of the world's largest <laughs> suit-making concerns, suit supply. Five years in Five total. Years. Yeah. Five years in total with this company that pretty, pretty much set you up 
for the the career and life you enjoy here today. Absolutely. Now, granted you, you come back to the Netherlands quite frequently because you have family here and obviously a professional network you can plug into from time to time. But I sense that you too have a, a uni- I suppose, a unique experience in being away from the Netherlands, having a, you know, a direct link to it professionally and like just moving forward with life in an interesting way. So give me a sense of how your history with, in your case, uh, uh, Tanya, mm-hmm. your history with the Netherlands, Amsterdam specifically, has, and, and the line between that and the, 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 the professional life you now enjoy. Uh, so I came to the Netherlands first in about uh, 2011. And my story with the Netherlands is, I, th- I want to say different, but with, with a, without any pretension, but I've been almost like an expat to the Netherlands, like a migrant in the Netherlands, but I've been a Dutch away. So what actually, I know it sounds very weird. So what happened is I came to work for a Dutch company here, um, Suit Supply, and I worked in a digital marketing capacity, e-commerce. And then while I was working with them, I was given the opportunity to take the Dutch company to Sub-Saharan Africa and to set it up there. So essentially, I got a, a Dutch backpack on me and took it to Africa. Um, so it was quite two very um, different experiences. So on the first hand, I'm an expat um, holding ma- many hats. So my ID card says I'm Belgian. Um, That's where you were born? That, no, I was born in France. Oh, wow. <laughs> We need, to, we need to write this down. I grew up in the UK. <laughs> I studied in Italy, in Germany. Uh, so I, I, everywhere I go, I've always been an expat in a way. Um, but I think the most interesting thing for me was actually, because um, I went to live as an adult for the first time with my suit supply umbrella. Um, so I'm engaging and living in my home root continent um, with this Dutch company on my backpack, and that in itself is quite an experience. Wow. What, where do you identify most with? That's the question that I've never heard before. Yeah. I'm speaking ironically. Yeah. No, it's, uh, <laughs> I, I, I even ask myself. We have a sparky, uh, <laughs> we have a sparky bunch today. <laughs> no. We're no, getting ask, more than our money's worth. <laughs> it's okay, we're going in. No, Musa, I, 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 I ask good. myself this question yeah. uh, as well. Um, and it, it entirely depends on the context of where I am and the moment. Okay. So, so right now, you've, where do business, you now? I mean, your business, uh, currently is it's not even registered in South Africa but it's doing most no, of it. No, no, it is registered. It oh, is, is it? It is, it is. So my non-zero is registered in South Africa yes. and then I have a business in the UK that owns a part of non-zero. Oh, but non-zero snap. is South African. Structured finance. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so... <laughs> okay. Back to the question. Okay, so back to the question. So back to the question. You're doing most of your business professionally through yeah. your company non-zero. Yes. That does most most of its major accounts are in South Africa currently. At the moment, so I'd yes. say about seventy percent South Africa, and then thirty percent the rest of the continent. So yes, so given that, mm-hmm. most of the question, where's you from? <laughs> <laughs> so my answer, what I would normally tell people is, I'm Rwandan. Uh, Wait. Uh, (laughs) Okay, so that's by blood. By blood. Okay. By blood, but also I relate with what Augustina was saying. It's also by upbringing. So the interesting thing with being an expat or a migrant or an immigrant, sorry, living in a different country is that whoever is from your country or from that place, you all of a sudden are best friends. Um, And so growing up in Belgium and growing up in the UK, our 
Rwandan and I would actually extend that to the wider African community is so strong and you become so much more of a Rwandan and so much more of an African because you're outside. And it was actually when I went back to Rwanda as an adult for the first time that I felt a little bit disconnected from the from the Rwandan culture. Um, and I had this thing of, oh, we don't do this anymore. <laughs> and yeah, because we, we, we kept our values and our, our heritage very strongly and we, it was something that my parents wanted to preserve in us and and, and, and they'd moved on when you got home. Yeah. The, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, Danai, I mean, w- what's your story, frankly? She's I mean, from Harare. Yeah, she's, I was just about it. I was just about it. Add less complications to this and just yeah. say, born and raised in Zimbabwe, Harare. And then I did, I mean, I will say half of my life has also been in South Africa. Um and based in Cape Town, so obviously I, I definitely resonate with um, so the racial So technically South tensions. Africa? No, because I identify first, actually I identify first with being African, then I identify with being Zimbabwean. Okay. And then I identify with living in South Africa and empathizing with the South African experience right. as a black person. Yeah. And so, so uh, talk me through uh, the choice to work for Goodwill. Uh, and and for some context, Goodwill is part of a, a wave of fintech investment proponents who are investing in, in what's currently the hot ticket item within, you know, s- startup venture capital on the continent right now. The fintech play, especially a data analytics rich fintech play is all the rage right now. Goodwill, of course, putting it, you know, throwing their, their hat in the ring in investing in MFS Africa, um, uh, you know, which, which is a ma- major sort of fintech player. Uh, we had a conversation with, um, Velocity Capital's uh, director for private equity, Alan Lushinger, also uh, an Amsterdam-based uh, VC. Couldn't be here tonight, but so kindly came through earlier to to give us a chat with one of his investees, um, Cellulant. Uh, you're part of this wave, so I'm 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 wondering how much of that kind of oh look what you know is happening in that space and i see goodwill and others doing it and i want to be a, a part of that went into your decision or was right. it something totally different so it's a completely different story and also i will state that you kind of reduced goodwill's story a little bit um, um it was a much 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 smaller <laughs> investment relative to velocity capital uh no it's not a, about the investment that was made it's actually about the journey of goodwill and actually why we exist oh, snap. so yeah okay. there, there's differences okay. so you'd have to look actually at the core of the the people in goodwill so we're actually we're 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 small teams but we're also very much driven behind one big mission. And that mission is actually about ensuring that we see um, profit and purpose coming together, specifically for the mass populations. Mm. So it's about economic agency for people who don't have economic agency. How do we channel capital that resides in the Western world and ensure that it has the impact that it needs to have for people in emerging markets, and this so, is a, this is a, th- uh, a thesis you brought into. No, in so this is this is a thesis that's always been a part of Goodwill. So we've actually been around no, for but I'm eleven years. You like buying in and going. Okay, I want to yes, be here yes, and yes. part of it. So actually, the the reason I I joined Goodwill was when I had finished off at varsity. I was in the entrepreneurship space a lot at UCT because that was the university I was at. That's University of Cape Town, and. Um, 
uh, I was playing with uh, UCT startups and, and, you know, we were innovating around ideas and I was also having like a crisis because I was doing economics and I was like, oh, it's all lies, assumptions, you know, this is crap that they, they're feeding us all of this, but it's nonsense. And I was like, how are we going to change our continent? And they like, you know, development, economics, and I'm like, trash. And it's like, so there was just a lot that was going on until... You're like, just an all-around happy person. Yeah, basically. I was just going through, through the most, looking for a job too, you know, a lot was happening. Um, but... At that point, I was like, you know, and actually, it's, I, I think it's a growing wave that's happening in our generation as Africans and speaking to your friends where we've been like, you know, guys, how, how are we going to change our narrative? What, what are we contributing to our own narrative? You know, and most people don't want to work for bigger corporates. Um, you know, there are some that are out there that do, you know, kudos to you guys out there. <laughs> but um, did you guys see that side eye? <laughs> <laughs> to some of the panelists over here. Anyway, carry on. We thought we'd be spicy for you. Yes. But um, yeah, so so it came across where I was like, you know, what about, um, oh, and my thesis was actually on um, uh, townships, Deep Slow Township, which is actually the bigger township in South Africa. I just wanted to, informal settlement. Informal distinction. Settlement. Just, just letting you know. Okay, <laughs> we're, we're coming for it? each other. <laughs> what is it? Um, yeah, and and it was looking about eighty percent of Africa's population resides. Actually, active population is in the informal market. So why aren't we extracting value out of that? Um, and why aren't we using that as the engine to change our narrative around poverty? Long story short, ended up meeting Vim Van der Beek, who's uh, the partner and a director at Goodwill Investments. And we were having great conversations about that. And then I started meeting some of the portfolio companies that were actively working um, in various markets. And it became very interesting. And it dawned upon me that, you know what, actually, there's a future here. Um, let's take the money that they stole from us a long time ago and bring it back to the continent. <laughs> so, oh, wow. so you're being a little, <laughs> you're being a little Robin Hood. No, it's, it's, it's deeper than that, obviously. No, I'm no, no, I, I totally get you. But I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to rope Babusi into the conversation. Babusi is super quiet, um, yes. always in black. Yes. Um, uh, super minimalist, um, even conservative with your words. I wonder, like, because I know how thoughtful you are yes. as an individual, right? Um like talk me through the politics of where you get to live on, in the world. And Musa touched on this dude here is a self-taught techie. When I say that is he's self-taught web developer. He he's got a history um, in agency in, in I think what top three, top five agency in, in South Africa. He's like a creative head. I, I don't know how big of a deal you guys understand that to be, but in, in South Africa, that's a big deal. Um, he then moves to Thomson Reuters as a self-taught sort of AI UX specialist. He then gets a contract to consult to the UNHCR um, and then lands a gig here at Booking.com. Like, what are the politics of where I get to do or where I should be deploying what is clearly a lot of gifts and talents? Money. Oh, <laughs> oh man. Wow. We're trying to go deep there. Oh, really <laughs> yeah, no. Actually, my feelings are slightly hurt. So, minimalistic so work. Honest. Honest. Minimalistic it's honest. Work. So, so here's a, everyone's shocked. Cut to commercial break. No. Cut to commercial break. <laughs> we'll return after these messages. Uh, 
Oh, wow. Do you know what? This is like the Kanye moment. <laughs> yes, yeah, he's but, a traitor. Yeah. <laughs> George Bush doesn't like black people. Uh, uh, the, let, so, let me so, phrase this differently. <laughs> no, no, but don't. But don't. I think he's getting back at Anai for that, that vitriol um, against sort of the free market. No, no, no. I'm joking. Okay, let the men speak. Okay, so I'll let the men speak. It is, to be honest. Um, I don't really have to unpack it, but um, just to make myself seem a little more human, um, on this panel, I will. That was shade. <laughs> no, it, it really wasn't shade. Because I feel like everyone thinks that was a, a very cold and calculated response. It really wasn't. It's just to um, improve the quality of life of my family and loved ones. And someone says, and, and Zimbabwe? My family is in Zimbabwe, so by default. All right. All right. So let me, dang, uh, let me change check. There's been a lot mentioned around narrative, taking back the narrative, creating narrative. There's a lot of narrative talk. Yeah. What does that mean to you, bro? What's this narrative thing about? Yeah, it's a bit, um, it's a bit tricky because narrative is this intangible thing that um, it's consumable, but it doesn't always affect what's inside of someone's fridge at the end of the day. And um, um, I'm always comfortable when narrative comes as a result of real meaningful change, like... Um, uh, economic progress within a household, for example, and if that's something that you can tell a story about. But um, I think with Africa, we always run the risk of romanticizing so many things because it's easy to tell a story. It's a nice story to read as well um, without looking at whether or not, one, um, it was sustainable, um, two, if it's if e even meaningful, right, um, beyond the family unit in the community. Um, so, yeah, I try and avoid... Conversations about narrative. Can I push back on this? Yeah, go for it. Hollywood. What about it? Uh, K-pop. Yeah. Soft power. Yeah. So, like, yeah. And, and I know you and I, like, I just feel like what you're saying is absolutely true, right? We're both from Zim. We know what that means. Yeah. Like you and I have like, there's a shorthand. Anyone from Zim in this room understands what that means. We yeah. also know. We also know. Yes. So I get what, it, so I'm just saying though, that um, there are things that are simultaneously true, I think. Yeah. Um, in that we're in a world now where narrative actually does change the realities you're describing. I mean, narrative um, versus, you know, policy lobbying, right? It's stories are over romanticized and they really limit actual and meaningful development. It's, yeah, I really try and steer clear of okay. you. touched Sorry, a, a woman just, enough, so enough. No, hold on one second. So thing. pertinent. <laughs> Before you, I'm interested to you, Masaba. So you work in media, right? Do you share the same view about I narrative do. and stories? I mean, are they over romanticized? Have you got tangible experience in where narrative has actually righted and it resulted? in economic benefit? Um, that is a good question. I have to take a deep breath. <laughs> okay, shall, we let, shall we let her talk while you keep yes. breathing? Okay. Have your, have your say. I, I, I want to take... Two minutes. I, okay. I, it's two minutes. Gosh. You never yeah, give yeah, him go. that much. <laughs> he just didn't He's a minimalist. No, he doesn't need to. And is oh, like... Okay. Well, it's my show. <laughs> <laughs> it's our show. I'm missing with you. Uh, <laughs> so anyway, carry Sorry. On. I just wanted to state that as true as which, what you've mentioned is... I think that it also was slightly reductionist in the sense that when we do talk about narrative and actually what is missing is that we, we're not talking about narratives that we know when we're speaking about, and I actually have issues calling Africa, Africa, because it makes it this weird place and country, country. concept <laughs> uh, when actually, I, I mean, why can't we just talk about being specific about what we're talking about? So if I'm saying, if we're talking about 
your grandmother in the rural areas. What is her story? And who's bringing her story to life? And I think that that's an important thing to to think about because I think if there are players in the world that are out there that are actually bringing out those people's narratives, then you give them a platform to have a voice. You've had an opportunity to have a voice, but because of where you are, it was someone in your family's narrative that you're now telling now. So I think that it is very important. It's very defining. Can I only do, can I interrupt you, and I just to say, I think it's a complex conversation. I think oversimplification is the enemy. Yeah. And I think uh, knowing Babu as well as I do, and I'm not batting for you, homie, because I disagree yeah. fundamentally on some of the things. And that's you're okay. Saying. Yeah. And that's yeah. okay. Yeah. I just feel that you get a pass with me specifically, and you can say what you want if you have other opinions. You get a pass with me. If you can, if you hold your view and you actually live integrously by that view, and that view actually moves the needle for a culture. Yeah, and also what I was saying, sorry, wasn't like the biblical truth. It was just my your understanding. Truth. Yeah, it was just my yeah. right. So I mean, I'm interested to hear something from you, Tanya. Um, you mentioned a, an interesting story around, you know, who's telling who's telling the story of the grandmother in the rural area, who's kind of identifying with that context and being able to raise that as either a problem or a whatever, who's shining the light on that, right? Now, obviously, you're spending quite a lot of time away from your own native land, but it's still being something you identify with. Mm-hmm. Um, when you look at the generational context of some of those stories that need to be told, some of those places you need to reach into to identify, um, you know, how have you done that? Uh, and, and has that been important? And I mean, your specific context is you have a, a Dutch co-founder, for example, mm-hmm. in your business. Mm-hmm. Some people look at that and say the optics of that is all wrong. Uh, and I'm, I'm, that's not me. I just, I just feel like there's so many ways to define doing it right. You know what I mean? Like keeping it real, you know, for us, by us. And not all of those ideas constructive, mind you. And I, I, I certainly attest to that. But I mean, given the complex history you described, like how do you navigate that, those decisions and the narrative you might be burdened or not to, yeah. to put forward? Um. So to put it to put it back to what I do, mm. I'd actually go back to what Babusi was saying, and I actually agree mm. in the sense that so most of what I do stems around the enterprise development. We create accelerator programs, and same as what Charles was saying as well. There's so much narrative going on that there are people that are doing. I'm going to put two situations. There are people that are doing amazing things, really building communities, changing the million to to four million um, small businesses on the con in Nigeria, right? There are people that are really impacting societies. And on the other hand, there are people that are building narratives about impacting societies. And the 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 thing that angers me a little bit about this and that scares me is that the people that make the most noise also get the the funds. They also get the money. I think that's that's what you're referring to. They also get the money. And that's where the noise, the money, everything translates to there. And similar to what Charles was saying as well, it's almost as if this narrative adds noise instead of actually adding clarity and making real impact at the end of the day. Okay. I would have to agree with that. Um, I've worked for uh, Truvalu Startups, which is an acceleration uh, organization, done the communication for several of their programs. And you realize that as in terms of, you know, you have that moment where, uh, let's say, well, from the Dutch government, certain amount of money gets 
be made available. And they're like, you know, we want to train uh, people that want to start a business back in Africa. And what you notice is that uh, those that make a lot of noise, that were like, well, you know what, we've done this in South Africa, we have done this in Zimbabwe, but actually haven't booked results, as in terms of, um, you know, really helping people that have a business. You can't, if you, if you are to look uh, back on their uh, development over a period of five years, you could actually say and hear them saying, you know what, I haven't benefited off of this particular program as I should have. Right. So what you get is a lot of people, it, it seemed like, okay, our Africans are being helped, this and that is being set up, right. but the actual effect is missing. Right. So I can definitely relate to that um, as in terms of programs being set up for West Africa, Ghana. And I, I would definitely agree with what you're saying. All right. yeah. I'm going to interrupt here because there's a lady back here. I'm going to invite you to say your name. You've been writing in a notebook. Uh, I'm going to invite you to share what you've been thinking. What have you been writing in there? Give us the notes. Please tell us your name and what, what did you just write down? Like, as I arrived, you were, you were writing furiously. What did you say? Well, <laughs> my name's Corinne. Um, I work for 1% Club. Hi, Corinne. Uh, Hello. And I just started, so I'm not really thinking anything. I'm just taking up everything you're saying and trying to learn uh, something that can help me in my job. Can I ask you a question, Karen? What has surprised you? What is the one thing you've gone, wow, that I didn't know in the last hour? Ooh, well, I've been um, listening to the podcast, so I've prepared myself well. <laughs> uh, you make that sound like you were, go you were coming to war tonight. Like, <laughs> oh, I, I, I bought some armor. I, you know, I learned to shoot a gun. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's not been that bad. <laughs> all right. Tough question. I don't know. It's, it's all been new. So, okay. Very interesting. All right. No, that's fair. 100%. So, um, I'm going to pick on someone else, uh, frankly. Uh, so, what's your name and where are you from? I'm from Nigeria. You're from Nigeria. Um, Kunle, uh, give us a sense of the one thing you heard tonight that rang true. Um, first of all, the first session spoke about um, different um, challenges which you go through, start, different startup companies in Nigeria go through, and how they mentioned about how much he mentioned some things about how the government should have done some things to make some things which much more easier, which is a fact. Then um, the second point that she raised about talking about the the hype or the noise that comes with the narratives and how it goes down with the money with that, which is also true. Um, I think back in Nigeria also, the loudest um, developers that probably talk in shows and things are really not the ones that really make the major moves. There was a kind of a Twitter fight that happened once that we started calling them celebrity developers because they were just popular, not, they haven't really built anything exactly. But the ones that really built cool stuff and things were always very quiet in one dark room and doing their work and stuff like that. So I think I agree with that. Because the real work is intense. That's what, yeah. I, what, I, what I believe. The real work is actually takes time, strategic planning, strategic working, and actually doesn't allow you to make too much noise. That's what I feel. Yeah, shots the fired, real by work the way, because we all know who he's talking privilege. about. They're all over Twitter. Sorry, don't I? Sorry, I was going to say, but also the real work also comes with privilege. So I agree with a lot of the sentiment that's here. But I also want to highlight, even if we are still talking about the narrative, who's still standing on that podium and what privilege do they have? And my genuine question then to the two Money. ladies, <laughs> yeah, no, but the two ladies here, not so much um, to the gentleman here, is that how, how many other female African women that have grown up and lived in Africa, when you stand on a stage, identify with you? And, and, and this is, this is why I am going back to that point, which is that 
it is actually important who stands at the podium. And we need the likes of him more, right? Mm-hmm. Where people can identify, one, with the reality of that narrative, two, can buy into it. Because the truth of the matter is, you do have a, te- a lot, immense amount of privilege sitting here and have being able to have the luxury of saying, yes, I, 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 you know, you identify with your roots back at home, but you also fly away and you leave home, you know, True. and you still have been given a platform to be proponents for Africans, but what, which other Africans also identify with you. And that's why it is important when we are talking about the narrative, that the narrative that is really true at at the base of the pyramid, at the mass population, who's telling that story? I don't buy into your brand of uh, justice complex, but you are saying some things that are true. I just think they happen to be true at the same time with a lot of other things. And I completely agree with you, but the only reason why I'm bringing it up is because I also think we need to give, you know, voice voice to to that other side. So, of course, everything is complex at the same time. And I think everyone in this room... Yes, because we have to account for the privilege that we all enjoy. Of course, that I enjoy as well. So, I entirely agree with you, but I'm also saying if we're also still trying to have a conversation, then we need to also get into the place where it's uncomfortable. That's true. Okay. And you're taking us there gleefully, it seems. So, uh, <laughs> me, I'm not going anywhere. Yeah, right. I go nowhere. I'm yes. gonna go. Musa, there, there's a gentleman who actually commented in the previous session. I'm going to yes. bring him back to the mic because we had a conversation after. Uh, is that with, Edwin? It is Edwin. I uh, mean, I know Edwin. Um, Edwin, so, give, give Edwin, I'm going to ask you to jump on the mic and share what you shared in the break with me because I think it speaks to the narrative discussion we're having here. And, I mean, I cut you off earlier on before you made your full point. Uh, and, and I think it, it sort of speaks to it, this idea that in part, what is also going on is entrepreneurship being redefined within the context of this, you know, digital future we're all headed for. And there are people in charge of what those, de- of, of what entrepreneurship and its definitions and, and what impact in those definitions are within the context of Africa. And it's mostly not Africans. And that's okay. No, it's not. No, no. That's partly okay because there are things no, we, not. we're not doing ourselves. And and we can't afford to expect other people to not want to do other things that are worth doing um, just because we're not doing it in, in certain ways. And that's an unfortunate, difficult truth. Um, but yeah, I think it's, I'm just laying the foundation for narrative, who owns it, the public sphere, definitions and that kind of thing. Edwin, go. Well, I'm, I'm kind of lost in, in the conversation right now. I almost just forgot what we were discussing in the break. Um, but you're right. It does really tie in very well because I think the, the, the narrative of Africa being the new haven for you know, entrepreneurship to thrive, to me, as, as was said earlier, it's old news because we don't call someone like Dangote an entrepreneur necessarily in Africa. We, that's not re, that's not the type of entrepreneurship that I think you find common in Africa. However, that's entrepreneurship that you see on the cover of magazines. It sells magazines. It's popular. And I don't think that as Africans, we've had a chance to really think about what the African dream is, as you know, King T'Challa was saying earlier, because we're being told what kind of entrepreneurship makes sense for Africa. We're being told who is bankable, what is bankable, what is the future of Africa. But I think we need to take a step back and 
think about what Africa needs. Now, like you were saying, drones are fine. They're good. They're, they have value. They can create real value for all sorts of things, agriculture, transport, and so on and so forth. But how about we just build the roads first? How about everybody just gets clean water to drink? How about you just make sure that everybody has a decent level of education? And I think that's not the sexy type of entrepreneurship. You know, like in, in the place like Ghana where I come from, there are markets, women, traders who literally hold down the economy, you know, and that's cash-based. But those people are not the entrepreneurs that we hear about. They're not the people that sell magazines. You know, the farmer who makes sure that there's a chocolate bar in Albertine every time you walk in there. They're not the entrepreneurs that we hear about. But those are the entrepreneurs that Africa needs to think about. Like how do we support those people to create real value? How is the chocolate bar that you're buying providing a, a living for those people? And how is that shaping the future of their, their lives in terms of urbanization so that they don't have to move to you know, um, the big cities? And one thing I would just add lastly is that poverty, maybe this is cute for conspiracy theory music. <laughs> Yeah, poverty to me was created because you had smallholder farmers who were just growing vegetables, onions, and things for their families and their villages. Somebody comes over with a whip or gunpowder and says, you leave the village and the small tomatoes, go to the plantation and make me cocoa, or whatever it is. That's how come you had Ivory Coast, Gold Coast, whatever, because these people, or I don't want to call them you know, slave masters, but the, the capital system of the time, decided that this is what we need, right? And so these people became poor because they had to leave the, the small farms to go on the big plantations. And nobody was growing tomatoes and onions for, this, for the village, right? And the knowledge, I think what we have to remember is the knowledge, the skills of that whole system was the, the slaves. They knew how to grow. They knew great agricultural methods that were implemented on a large scale. But we forget that that has made these economies depending. Ghana doesn't make cocoa because the farmers, you know, enjoy it or because it feeds the whole country. But because if we don't sell cocoa, the government is not going to have money to do anything. That's not by choice. That's not by choice, right? So that's, that's the point I was trying to make. But Thank you, sir. Wow. Okay. All right. So, <laughs> oh, sorry. <clears throat> What's your name, brother? T'Challa. My name is uh, Amitepe Nuglose. Um, I want to thank the gentleman, Edwin, over there, because uh, you point out a very important thing. Um, the whole story also about the narrative, what we're talking about is actually, what do we really envision for Africa as Africa, or as you want to call it? Do we want Africa like becoming, let's say, um, Wakanda? Or do we want to make it as Europe? Mm -hmm. This is something that we Africa only can determine by discussing that that vision. And um, I think that it's good that people are uh, talking about it in, in this surroundings. And what I also think is that uh, you need you need to have the noise to reach other people because you need to have people that talk about what you're talking about. That, the people that make the noise get the, the most fun. You also need to have the noise to be heard. Otherwise, nobody's going to hear it. 
So that's what I want to add. Okay. I, I mean, we've had, I mean, part of what we do is we, we provoke, right? Yeah. And, and provocation is an important part of dialogue. So I don't think uh, yeah, we ever not, purport to, to solve a problem. I, in wrapping up, actually, <laughs> yeah, yeah. it's important to say that we, we're smart enough to know that uh, we weren't going to fly into Amsterdam and solve 700 years worth of <laughs> complex world history. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Neither are we in any position to singularly um, change or shape any narrative, regardless of whether we support it or not. We do see value inherently, as Musa says, in having the conversation, however and uncomfortable. And I think the only thing that is left, just to summarize, yeah. the only thing that we can leave you with is, is potentially to share the, 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 the visions, the individual visions, because yeah. I think collective vision leads to the change we're ultimately looking for, and sometimes it's difficult to express it. And I'll start myself, because I'll ask all of you to do the same, uh, because I mean, I've... Your panelists, the panelists. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no, 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 no. I mean, you go first. Uh, yeah, 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 exactly. So, so I'll start with my vision, right? I've, so I've, I'm very fortunate and lucky to have two beautiful children and I always contextualize what future I kind of see them occupying. Um, and I wrote an article once about kind of when I close my eyes and I see like the vast plains of the country that I come from um, and I see like technological plains emerging and people being able to actually live subdermal lives because things are solved underground and we don't have to worry about kind of housing people. I see how the environments that are informal can start taking on natural science to be able to biomimic conditions that actually foster development. I see things like blockchain solving issues like land distribution. Um, and in the future that I envision and I see, I kind of have at the core of me this intersection between humanity and technology. And that's something that I always talk about because that for me is what I believe Africa to have the potential to achieve. The reason we have these conversations is because I believe that is going to be a delicate mixture of creativity and technology. That's my vision. Yeah. What's your vision? What's your vision, my dear? Wow, the first one, really. <laughs> so, what's my vision for? You like the what? What do you want to see happen? Like, what's the vision? I mean, you've taken in all these divergent views. Uh, that... Okay. <laughs> <laughs> what's your vision? <laughs> I was hushed for the record. <laughs> okay. Um, uh, my vision is. I would like to see a future where Africa is known as a continent, where it is understood that it is diversified, it's diverse and it has a multitude of complexity. I would like to be in a future where I don't have to explain my existence and why I'm a marvel. I don't want to explain why I seem to be an exception to the world um, because I come from a third world. I would like to see a future where we could stand in a room equally with people from the Western world and be seen as equals and not exceptional. Uh, I would also like to see a place where we do see our young population taking the baton forward within our governance structures. One last thing you'd like to see. I know. One last thing I'd like to see. And I would really like to see Mind that please. we stop, <laughs> that we stop having extraction and rather that we become a hub of production. Okay. That's it. 
as a continent. Okay. Tanya? Kind of hard to come after you. No. <laughs> <laughs> so I agree with everything uh, that Danaya said. And for me, I would like to see an economically thriving Africa as a continent. I believe that the key to our continent success lies in the uplifting of our entrepreneurs and our SMEs. I would like to see the youth, more youth, um, looking to become agricultures, looking to become producers and contribute to their communities before trying to build the next app that's going to change the world. Um, not that there's anything against app, but I just, I would just like to see a tangible, impactful, economically strong Africa. Okay. Thank you. Misaba? Gave me a lot to think about. <laughs> um, I kind of focus on the how as to, um, okay, I want Africa to be like this and that. Um, in my perfect world, I, um, the diaspora contributes on a constant basis uh, to the African continent, whether that be directly starting a business or supporting a business or starting an initiative. So in that perfect setting, there is a perfect flow of information, travel, um, um, discovery and network access maybe exactly network access and definitely in the area of media uh, i i personally think that is already you know um, very forward so i am looking onto a lot more and sharing the stories of the diaspora as well because um i think the best story uh, of africa to tell is ourselves so uh, that's what i'm looking forward to yeah, yeah. thank you babusi um, you yeah. started this. <laughs> you started this. <laughs> now, now we're like 35 minutes off I'm the sorry. mark. The house is nearly burnt down. I'm so sorry. And, and it's your turn to speak. I hope you're happy. And unfortunately, I also don't have any like big picture where Africa um, should be in my eyes thing to say. But um, I see a lot of small innovations that um, will grow bigger because they matter in Africa. You know this. Um, someone was talking about um, how funds are disseminated in Africa and um, what does it mean to have a, a small business fail, you know, because you have to go through these due diligence things and, and all that. And, um, you know, there's there's people who are looking at alternate models for risk assessment that are very specific to the communities in which they're created. There's, there's so many ways that we can look at um even like scholarship programs for example in africa like what does it mean to give someone the gift of education today when so much is accessible online so so many um specific innovations that work within the context of the communities in which they come from um is where i'm seeing us headed and i've got this um we've used this button too many times so please don't do it but this theory that um africa's <laughs> Africa's entrance into um, the, a worldwide global conversation on innovation and technology will be very important, and it's with it's to do with AI. Hmm. Yeah, he's gonna leave it like leave us there. Okay, well, <laughs> as he made us not I, talk I, I, about I, tech. <laughs> I see his mo. He's like light a match, walk away. <laughs> that's the thing. That's what Babus is up to. I see. It's a lot to unpack, but... Sorry, sorry. It, it's really a lot to unpack, but... <laughs> perfect, yeah. I mean, this dude. I mean, this dude. And so I, I, get, to, yeah. I get to kind of have the last say, and I know you expect a long say. Um, 
<laughs> really, the future, I, I hope, is a very pragmatic one. It's one that appreciates three words. Oversimplification is four words. Oversimplification <laughs> is the enemy. Oversimplification is the enemy. And that's what this evening has been about. This the entire evening is about. I'm sure some of you came thinking you'd meet a whole bunch of Africans who all think alike, who who all like sing Kumbaya and think, you know, Black Black Panther was an awesome movie. And, <laughs> Who is that person who doesn't feel that way? Um, I have mixed feelings about that. We oh, can talk my about gosh! <laughs> uh, no, um, but that's part of the point, though, isn't it? Um, there are a lot of things that are true at the same time. There are a lot of complex truths um, that don't negate each other. Um, they coexist in complex ways. And I think there are parallels that exist in different universes that are all legit. And I think uh, my passion is stems from being a youngster in the Philippines in 1992, and my family lived there, where the only truth about what Zimbabwe was, was two paragraphs about this size, about you know the size of two fingers put together, and a, pic- a picture of a giraffe and jacaranda trees in, in, in Arar. That's about right. And yeah. that was Which all Zimbabwe was. <laughs> wow. on the day, so, and we all had this chance to, to pitch our, our countries to the rest of the class, and all I had was two flipping paragraphs, a stutter, and African booty scratcher disses to deal with. And, and I feel like uh, we need to be better than that in 2018. Absolutely. Going forward, we need to be, we need to be like, listen, we won't allow that to happen. We, I will check the sources of my information. I will vary the sources of information and insight. I will get more and, and diverse friends. I will tune into podcasts I might not necessarily vibe with initially just so that I can prevent from being subject to, to, to that enemy, which is oversimplification. And so on that particular note, I want to thank uh, first Babu Sinoni of Booking.com. Please help me thank them. Put around the round for Augustina Austin, um, entrepreneur, creative, all-round innovation architect. Please help me thank her. Thank you so much. Tanya Habimana, of course, oh my word, entrepreneur, co-founder, head of digital and content at Non-Zero. A warm round of applause. Thank you. Are you going to forget my surname again? Musandu. Just, just, uh, Musandu, thank you. Musandu. But there's an H in there. No, there isn't. What research did you do after that speech? So Danai Musandu is an investment associate at Goodwill Investments. Please help me thank her. Ladies and gentlemen, please help me thank our incredible support for the evening right here in our first night away um, from our our continent for a live podcast event. Um, ATRU Live is where it's at, right here in Amsterdam, with no small thanks from VC for Africa, uh, uh, 1% Club. Please give them a warm round of applause for being incredible. And finally, help me thank, please, the incredible team at African Tech Roundup without which none of this would be possible. Uh, firstly, behind the scenes, if you'll turn around and chill wave, that's Tayo Akinyemi back there. Hey, Tayo. Absolutely. Our head of growth. Um, if you don't get a chance to speak to any of us with something you want to chat with, please make sure you speak to her. She's like the deal. Okay, so please do that. And then, of course, um, I'm going to give a shout out to the honorary member of our team. She's going to hate I did this. Um, I don't know if she's in the room right now. 
<laughs> she's Tabiso Masugu, and yes, we share a surname. That's because she's the boo. <laughs> she's right in the back, and she's not lifting her hand. Last but not least, my co-founder, business partner, co-host on the on this show. Uh, help me thank Musa Kalenga. Incredible. Thank you. Very much. <laughs> now, keep it going for yourselves. Keep it going. Keep it going. Keep it going. Woo-hoo. 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 Woo-hoo.